Welcome to Here for Her Health, where we're building a better, healthier everyday for women. Brought to you by Organon. Welcome back to Organon's Here for Her Health, where we're building a better and healthier everyday for every woman. I'm Wendy Lund, and today's episode is all about equity and health. Joining me for the discussion is OBGYN, president of the Sapphire Women's Health Group and host of the podcast, In the Ladies' Room with Dr. Donica, Dr. Donica Moore. Today, we explore inequity in health and some of the types of inequity that sometimes get overlooked like rural versus urban care, elder care, and more. We also talk about maternal mortality and how Dr. Moore sees it as an archetype of health inequity. Thank you so much for being part of our podcast episode, Dr. Donica. And please, we just want to start by briefly telling our listeners about your background and why you are so passionate about women's health. So I'm a physician. I was trained in OBGYN, but for the past 25 years, I've been a women's health educator and communicator. And what does that mean? I was a TV doctor. I have a podcast in the ladies room with Dr. Donica. I talk about women's health so that I can use my time to save people time when they are seeing their own physician and their own healthcare provider. I'm passionate about women's health because it's so important. It's everything that I've dedicated my whole career to, which is a little more than 25 years. But it started when I was in college in the 1970s, when I had never even met a woman physician. And women's health was really relegated to what we call bikini medicine. And that was just anything that was covered by a bikini was considered women's health. And the rest was just the 75 kilogram white male. And I was that kid in medical school who at the end of the class, the teacher would say, you know, any questions? And I would say, yes, how does this affect women? Or yes, how is this affected by estrogen? And most of the time, most of those questions were not answered. The good news is now in 2022, we do have answers to many of those questions and at least we're asking the questions on a regular basis. An incredible amount of work has gone into that over the past few years, and you've you've done so much. And one of the things you talked about was this whole idea around bikini medicine. And one of the things we've been talking about is thinking beyond the uterus. So we're completely on the same track. One of the areas I know that you have talked to us about is the fact that we do a lot of listening at Organon, and we're continuing to ask women to share their take on the largest unmet needs facing women's health today. You've seen it all. So as a women's health expert, physician educator, advocate, I'd love to hear your take on what do you see as one of the biggest challenges facing women and their health today? Well, clearly the number one challenge is the pandemic. You know, we're still in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. The pandemic, though, is not just the biggest challenge, women's health challenge we face now because of the death toll but because the pandemic itself has revealed many weaknesses in our healthcare delivery system that we knew about. There were no surprises in terms of the fact that these differences existed, but the surprises were the extent to which they affect men's and women's health. Of course, today we're just here to talk about women's health. So I want to first define what women's health is, because lots of people have different misconceptions about, pun intended, about what women's health is. Many people think women's health is just reproductive health. Many people think it's just OBGYN. Many people think women's health is the difference 
between what's unique in women or what happens in men. But what women's health is, very simply, is anything that affects the health and well-being of women. And that's not my definition. That's the National Institutes of Health definition. So for the purposes of this conversation, we're not comparing everything to men. We're talking about what's focused on women. Of course, when we're talking about women's health, don't forget, we're also talking about mental health. Anxiety and depression were huge mental health medical problems in women long before the pandemic, but that has skyrocketed. And even if we talk about obstetrics and maternal health and maternal mortality, which by the way, I really appreciate that Organon is focusing on, if we look at the top five causes of death in pregnant women and in the 42 days after giving birth, which is how maternal mortality is defined, one of the leading causes of death in pregnant women is suicide and homicide. So those are other huge issues. To get back to your original question, the pandemic, certainly huge, huge women's health issue. If we also look at increasing causes of death in women, the opioid epidemic and deaths by drug overdoses. So there are, of course, other drugs that women overdose on that are not opioids. But just in the opioid epidemic, those numbers have increased dramatically in just the past three years. So that's a huge issue. Of course, obesity is also a huge, literally huge women's health issue that, of course, leads to all the other huge women's health issues. So when we talk about what the largest issues are, what I always say is it depends on what's affecting you and your loved ones. Because if it affects you, then that's the most important thing. But if we look at as a country or as a society, we usually get focused on things that cause the greatest number of deaths or the greatest disease burden or the greatest cause of disability. And you know, one of the things you touched on throughout that answer and your thinking is around health equity and the disparities that exist and, and how health equity is also one of the most challenging issues facing us today, which has really been exacerbated by COVID. And, you know, I'm especially passionate about showing how health is inextricably linked to gender equity for all women. You know, we have to be thinking across every different area. So I just want to start there and ask you to talk about the linkages between health and gender equity. So how many hours you got? (laughs) (laughs) Health and gender equity are hugely interlinked. And if we get back to our definition of women's health, about women's health being anything that affects health and well-being of women, certainly gender equity is a huge problem, not only for physical health and wellness and disease burden, but again, also mental health. So if we look at the stress of gender inequity, physical and mental stress, that causes huge medical problems. If we look at the lack of health insurance, and access to healthcare. Ironically, we have the best healthcare in the world available for people who can write a blank check. We still have about 20 to 30 million Americans, depending on, on whose data you look at and how updated it is, who don't have any health insurance. But then we have millions of people who have inadequate health insurance. So they may be covered for catastrophic events such as, you know, if you're injured in a car accident or God forbid you get cancer, 
you know, those things, they may be covered, but they're not necessarily covered for routine preventive health care and certainly wellness. If we look at health and gender equity, we can't separate that from other forms of disparity. So racial disparities are a huge impact on health outcomes. And certainly we've seen this with respect to COVID, but we also see this with almost every other parameter that we look at, including life expectancy. Another factor that most people don't realize can affect their health outcomes, which is an equity issue, is their zip code. You know, studies have been done showing the differences in maternal mortality, for example, between various zip codes that are not geographically that far apart. Geography itself, regardless of your income, can be a huge factor because in rural America, many hospitals close their obstetric wings for various reasons, but one of which is malpractice insurance and the cost of maintaining those. So there are many women who live in places in the country where just to get to a place where there's an obstetrician have to drive 90 minutes to deliver their baby. I don't know if you've ever been pregnant, but when I was pregnant, 90 minutes would not have cut it. <laughs> the taxi cab would have been delivering the baby or the taxi cab driver. That would be an Uber driver. And then we have to also look at other disparities which are linked with gender. So not just race, but age. You know, age disparities, abilities. So people with disabilities, special needs. You know, those are also very relevant in addition and on top of gender disparities. And then, of course, sexual orientation and the LGBTQ community that have their own increased risks of you know, many different conditions and health, health risks. One of the things you talked about was age disparity, which doesn't get anywhere near the attention it should. So I just want to unpack that a little bit more with you. And let's talk about that. You're saying is that they almost disappear completely from the medical system, too, as they age. Can you talk a little bit more about that? So one way that they, quote unquote, disappear certainly is in healthcare providers. <laughs> Another way that they are ignored is in terms of research. What I do know is when I look up clinical guidelines and just for fun recently, because I was having this conversation with my own mother, who's in her 80s, she was told by her physician that she no longer needed a mammogram and she no longer needed a colonoscopy. And I was horrified because thank goodness my mother is extremely healthy and she probably at this point has a life expectancy over 100. We should all be as healthy as my mother. But her doctor gave her what is actually in some guidelines, but that doesn't apply to 82-year-olds who are as healthy as my mother. They talk about frail elderly people. She plays tennis two hours a day, every third day. So not a frail elderly person. We don't have research on how long people should, women should have mammograms. How long should women have colonoscopies and other preventive interventions? I, of course, told her that she needs to schedule those things. And if her doctor wants to talk to me, she can talk to me because her number one risk factor is my being the one to take care of her when she really is frail and elderly. And she does not want that. She wants to be independent as long as possible. And if we look up the rates of breast cancer, the number one risk for being breast cancer, of course, is having breasts, but the number two risk is age. And yet we don't have any studies that I know of on breast cancer in women over 80. And that, of course, is an increasing percentage of our population. And of course, I could go on and on with many other examples. Of course, osteoporosis is you know, a huge area where age 
and intervention and being female are all huge factors in this disease. And, you know, we don't really know what happens to healthy people in their 90s and hundreds because generally most clinical research stops at 80. Well, hold that thought because I may come back to you with uh, in the future with some more things to talk about in terms of that, because, you know, you open just such a can of worms when you start to think about this and talk about this, about the impact of this on, you know, women that are older. And let's kind of pivot into maternal health. So how we treat and care for our mothers says a lot about us as a society. Can you give us a deeper sense of the issues of equity when it comes to being a mother? And what do you think we can do to improve these issues? Okay, so I first want to start with the disclaimer that I'm not dissing fathers in any way. Of course. We're talking about women and mothers, and therefore we're talking about their role in becoming pregnant, staying pregnant, surviving labor and delivery, Mm -hmm. and you know, thriving afterwards and the postpartum period. And we're talking about nursing, hopefully, if, you know, for women who can and who choose to nurse to breastfeed. But we're also talking about caregiving, which is child care for most mothers is a huge issue. And when we're talking about child care, we're talking about all the issues we already talked about for every health issue. There is, you know, I am a mother. There is nothing more stressful for me in my life than when I have a sick child. And my children are in their late 20s, but it doesn't change. <laughs> the umbilical cord is still functioning. So all the- I'm living the same dream. I get it. When we talk about maternal health issues, we're generally talking about mort- maternal mortality, which, you know, as I said earlier, is defined as death anytime in pregnancy and within 42 days afterwards. And we're talking about maternal morbidity which is anything that causes illness, whether or not it's related to the pregnancy. So again, COVID, pregnant women are at way greater risk of COVID. And we've seen the maternal death rate in the United States continue to increase at a greater rate since COVID has hit. But we also have to talk about how we provide preventive health services better to women who don't have that and who are underserved. And that's also picking up health risks. I haven't delivered a baby other than my own children, but as a physician, I haven't done deliveries since 1989. And I still remember every single woman who had a complication when I delivered a baby, because those things are, obstetrics is generally a happy, a feat, you know, wonderful specialty. But when the tragedies hit, they are, you know, just absolutely devastating, of course, for the family, first and foremost. And nothing is worse than sending home a baby without its mother or and then next worse, sending home a mother without her baby. Yeah. Incredible. And if we look at disparities, particularly racial disparities in maternal mortality, it's staggering, you know, the differences. And of course, African-Americans have the highest maternal mortality rates. And that's without, even if we control for other confounding factors like education status and income and socioeconomic status and supportive families. So all of those things mixed into the statistician's uh, mixture, you know, mixed into the statistician's uh, special formulas, and they still, we still have racial disparities that we need to account for. We, as you've said through this entire podcast, we have a lot of work to do. So I have one more question for you. So on your podcast, In the Ladies Room, you ask every guest, 
What is your most unique, interesting, or memorable experience that has ever happened in a ladies' room? And we want to hear your story. What's the most interesting thing, unique thing that's memorable that's happened to you in a ladies' room? So I love that question, obviously. (laughs) And I actually, my first episode of the podcast, I explained several stories that influenced my calling my podcast in the ladies' room. But I think the one that's most meaningful for this audience is I had an experience in 1989 where I was at a meeting of the American Medical Women's Association, where I'm now on the board of directors again. I was at the time. It was at a a hotel in Philadelphia and I was in the ladies room. There were multiple stalls and I was overhearing a conversation between three women who I didn't know who were talking about the disparities in women's health research and how little federal funds were dedicated to women's health research. And they were talking about this topic. And so I came out of the stall and washed my hands and joined in the conversation without none of us introduced ourselves. By the end of the conversation, they told me they were forming a new organization, which is now known as the Society for Women's Health Research, which is one of the most powerful women's health organizations. But they were forming this organization. And would I like to be on the board of directors of their organization? Oh, wow. Not knowing my name, not knowing anything about me other than this conversation. Mm-hmm. And I did later find out who they were. Uh, it was Dr. Florence Hazeltine, who is a giant in women's health research. Phyllis Greenberger, who went on to become the CEO of the Society for Women's Health Research for over 30 years. And Susan Blumenthal, who was then the assistant secretary in HHS. So anyway, at the time, I was a medical director at a pharmaceutical company. So I said, this might be perceived as a potential conflict of interest. But I said, but what I would be happy to do for you is to start a corporate advisory board where we could get all companies and pharmaceutical companies and other healthcare companies who had a vested interest in women's health to help support advancing this goal. And I would hate to leave this conversation on a down note. I know there was a lot of, you know, we brought up a lot of heavy stuff where we, you must have said three times that we still have so much work to do. But I want to say that since 1989, we have accomplished a tremendous, tremendous amount in women's health research. First of all, the creation of the Office of Research on Women's Health at NIH, which was thanks in most part to Dr. Bernadine Healy, the late Dr. Bernadine Healy, who was the first woman director of NIH. But every, what we've accomplished in addressing various inequities in women's health. So we have accomplished a tremendous amount. We still have a long way to go, but I don't want people to forget what we have accomplished. Well, first of all, I want to say that that bathroom escapade, that ladies room escapade <laughs> seems like one of the most amazing and meaningful stories anybody can ever tell. And you were with some, you yourself, plus the three women, such heavy hitters and have made such an incredible impact in the area of women's health, which brings me to reinforce your point, which is I've been doing this a while too. And I can also speak to the fact that there has been significant, significant progress, lots of advancement, and of course, tremendous advocacy from so many hundreds, maybe thousands of people who will continue to move us forward. So I really, really appreciate your being here today. One last thing before we wrap, is there anything else that you think our audience should know when it comes to her equity and her health? So I think the most important thing for all of your listeners to know is that while it's very important to be aware of women's health issues in general, the most important women's health issues every one of our women listeners need to take care of 
is her own, and then certainly her daughter's and her mother's. I love this concept that Organon has advanced about listening to its customers. We also need to listen to the women in our lives. And, you know, when my mother made this like joking comment about, oh, I don't need a mammogram anymore. Yeah, I jumped on that. You know, we all need to be aware of that. We need to make sure the women in our lives are vaccinated. We need to make sure the women in our lives are getting their pap smears, their mammograms, their colonoscopies, their bone density tests and whatever. But mostly we need to make sure they're seeing their doctors once a year. Very well said and totally agree that whether you're a woman or a man, there are so many different things we can do for the women in our lives, the mothers, the daughters, the cousins, the friends, the colleagues, we all have people around us we can help. So I just want to thank you again, Dr. Donica, for being here today. We're thrilled that we were able to have you here and look forward to future times where we can be together again, hopefully in person. (laughs) Yay. Thank you. This has been fun. Special thanks to Dr. Donica Moore for taking the time to join us on the show today. Inequity in health is a serious issue that often doesn't get the attention it deserves. And we appreciate Dr. Moore being on the show and helping explain some of its issues. You can hear Dr. Moore discuss similar issues on her podcast, In the Ladies Room with Dr. Donica. You can also check out some of our previous episodes of Here for Her Health whenever you're listening to this podcast and by subscribing so you can always get the latest episodes. I'm Wendy Lund, and thank you all for listening to Organon's Here for Her Health, building a better and healthier every day for every woman.